got a lot to say about the world I occupy every day. But when I say what's on my mind, I find I piss people off. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. I'm Joy Damiani. I'm Sarah Baranowskis. And on this episode, we're talking with Crash Barbosa, a recording artist, entertainer, and political organizer from New York, now living in Los Angeles. And it's that whole manly man thing. Like, like we don't talk about our problems because, like, we can handle it. Like, we're men. Like, be the man of the house, which goes back to patriarchy. And I think a lot of male mental illness yeah. is literally completely intersected with toxic, toxic ideas. But first... If you have been enjoying what you've been hearing on this podcast, which is now unbelievably on its 30th episode and still doesn't have a Patreon or a PayPal or a Venmo or anything, you can let us know you love us by subscribing on one of the many platforms and leaving us a five-star rating, a wonderful review, or even, you know, a, um, you know, constructively critical review whatever you want to do we just want to hear from you we want to know you're out there and uh on that note let's get started with a song from crash barbosa called activism which is off of his not even released yet record enjoy it you know i had to go west coast on this crash Activism, civil way to smash bad systems. Activism, is how you heard by politicians. Activism, be the change and make all the difference. Activism, we don't need them cage clothes, all the prisons. Activism, civil way to smash bad systems. Activism, is how you heard by politicians. Activism, be the change and make all the difference. Activism, we don't need them cages, clothes, all the prisons. Activism, the root word of that's act. Not just on all these apps, don't just post a square black. People are under attack. Attack. Go have everyone's back and don't escalate shit. Follow leaders with tact. Free the people in prison. Get them to sign a petition. Draw up the conditions for a state proposition. Get the votes in position and then draw up a vision. Get people out to canvas before you know it. We win it. Hit everyone's phone line and plan out a city. Leave your phone at home. I promise you they use prism. Don't take photos of faces or you fuck up the mission. I said watch people's back because they'll watch yours. Point out unmarked cars. Especially GMs and boards The state will be scared They want us all in a more Stormtroopers for sure Protecting their overlords Don't ever be their reason But make sure they know yours uh. Activism the Civil way to smash bad systems Activism Is how you heard by politicians Activism Be the change and make all the difference Activism We don't need them cage clothes All the prisons Activism the Civil way to smash bad systems Activism Is how you heard by politicians Activism be the change and make all the difference. Activism. We don't need them cages closed off the prison. Our guest here on What the Folk, our first episode back after our extended hiatus in which we did a lot of things we won't talk about in the podcast. <laughs> our first guest is Crash Barbosa, a recording artist, entertainer, political organizer from New York, now living in L.A., he is formally incarcerated for a crime he didn't commit. Crash was politically targeted by a far-right county and only became more radicalized, if that was even possible. Crash is also disabled. 
coming from the ownership class and rejecting its values, crash has become what quote-unquote white America considers a serious problem. Crash has seen firsthand how toxic America's rat race is and continues to be toward families and the communities those families occupy. Crash is an organizer in Los Angeles, specifically working based in activism around racial justice, abolition, community care, feminism, mental health advocacy, animal rights, and policy. Crash is currently working on further legislation after California's big wins toward abolition in 2020, continuing to speak truth to power. Welcome to What the Folk, Crash. Thank you guys for having me so much. I shouldn't have said you guys, but yeah, thank you for having me. I, that's still something I'm unlearning and I love it. It's, it's important that nobody pretends they're perfect, in my opinion, at least, right? That, yeah. you know, it's like, I'm going to unlearn patriarchy my entire life. Like, even if I'm mm-hmm. an expert at not being the patriarchy, like, there's things no one thinks about. I'll, for right now, I'll leave that there, but it's it's important. <laughs> I use you guys all the time and I use it when I teach sometimes and I'm like it's just like it's so unconscious it's interesting though trying to become more conscious and surface those sort of unconscious language patterns yeah it's it's really and I like the way that you know you you put it 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 really is it's a constant unlearning that we're doing we never we never fully unlearn our conditioning really we just like eventually die and we get to we get to whatever level we get to (laughs) um so thanks thanks for jumping right in on on that (laughs) um yeah and and uh you know in these in these times where we are I'm so happy we're having these conversations all the time about unlearning and conditioning and uh (laughs) <laughs> the general um the general uh, you know un unfucking and unpacking of of this toxic system that we've we've found ourselves in um it's really good to hear a um you know a white male person uh, initiate the conversation about unlearning the patriarchy thank you it's um. <laughs> more rare than it should be, unfortunately. It is much more rare than it should be. And that's unfortunately also not just applicable to white males that are heteronormative, quote unquote, right? It's a very common occurrence amongst all, you know, it seems like it's very much something that men aren't trying to talk about. And I right. don't understand why, because it's not helping them. It's harming them. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Garrett, Garrett Reppenhagen, my dear friend, fellow veteran. And I said, I, I said, who should we have on the podcast? And he was like, Crash Barbosa. And I was like, okay. I'm so um, happy he did say that. Like, that <laughs> makes me happy because I love Rep. Like, so that's high praise from him. So uh, shout out to Rep. Thank you. Yeah. He said, he said y'all met making good trouble. And I felt like that might be normally we just, we just start with how's your apocalypse going and, and we could do that, but I feel like it all does tie in. So how is your apocalypse going? And can we also in that context, talk about the good trouble that we make? (laughs) Sarah's like you and your goddamn questions. (laughs) Like double barrel question right out the gate. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, apocalypse has been uh it's been very apocalyptic. It's been like in the way that the nineteen seventies were apocalyptic, that's the way the apocalypse has been outside of causing good trouble, the other things I've seen occur in society have been very reminiscent of what I what I didn't see because I was dead still. But in the you know, 70s, this happened. We're starting to see a resurgence of that. And I'm scared of that. But as far as the good trouble goes that I've caused, I mean, yeah, we got, you know, Trump out of the White House. You know, we we flipped Georgia. We did we did some really important work. Like California got a lot of legislation passed that was very important for voting rights, for um, human rights when it came to anything related to prisons. I mean, abolition won the election. I, I won't lie. Some of the legislation was not what I would have preferred it to be the final draft that was approved. I thought it could have been shelved, but that's my personal opinion. It's still good because progress towards that normalizes it further. So it's been a long and really busy apocalypse. Everything from dealing with a president that we had that was retweeting white power and was, you know, actually causing insurrections, going into buildings that haven't been occupied by anybody without a pass to be there. But in, since the war of 1812, um, that happened. It got a pass. That's the America we live in and the world we live in, unfortunately, today. So like, that's something I've noticed. I've been working a lot on anti-patriarchy things where it's like unlearning patriarchy and also explaining how these things are realistically the root of everything else where it's like it started with patriarchy because those things intersected historically in the same pattern that capitalism in a way did it was more about property than capital back then but that's when everything got strange and you know femmes lost all autonomy and had historically been matriarchs of society so that's when things started to get strange. That's when things started to get divided. People started going to war over pieces of land, pieces of property. We're seeing that just reoccur over and over. And I'm just in a space where I feel conflicted sometimes, to be honest, because I, it's like we're working so hard to get one person out of the White House, being the 45th president who's a complete white supremacist, and then get another white supremacist and Joe Biden into the White House. Like, just no big deal. He said he was entitled to the black vote. Well, no, dude, you're not entitled to a single vote, but no one taught him that, I guess. So he said that to Charlemagne and that still got him elected, got him over the finish line. We're passing an infrastructure bill without human infrastructure. We, uh, the Democrats are controlling every branch of the government right now. Um, abortion laws are under attack. I, I don't see a lot of wins federally when it, it comes to what we're looking at blowback wise from what the result of the Biden presidency has looked like so far, where kids are still in cages. We're just not seeing somebody tweet as if they're in a totalitarian position. But his authoritarian stances are very, in my opinion, similar not much change type of thing maybe even got worse if you want to talk about the way that homeland security treats anybody who's been considered quote-unquote radicalized at this point that's like he worded that as if it was limited to the proud boys but it isn't and it's not good and so i do think we're in a strange time where the entire world worldwide because i do work with orgs in europe and other places and 
the reoccurring theme is that fascism is being fetishized worldwide. And it, it reminds me a lot of historically from what I know, how it probably would have looked if we had this level of access to information in the Spanish Civil War, right? When that started to happen, that was really when the globe started to get in bed with this idea, authoritarian dictating of countries and like masking it behind solidarity, we the people type of language with a lot of fist pounding and black bagging of citizens. So like, I really, I, I, I worry, I worry that the globe is headed there and a lot of people are still clapping. And I'm like, well, okay, Uh, that's neoliberal hell. I'm scared. But if no one else is, maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely share that. And um, I can't remember who it was, but it might have been Matt Christman said this on a podcast where we're almost in post-fascism, where fascism has become so much of the normal kind of background and the normal ground that we're all walking on all the time we just don't realize that like we've normalized surveillance we've normalized so many things that like it's cute that people thought getting rid of trump was getting rid of fascism but it's like y'all haven't been paying attention to the last (laughs) administrations before this yeah yeah Yeah, he he wasn't a politician during the 94 crime bill he did some racist things around the same time paying for that article you know on now proven innocent that would have been really weird as a presidential candidate i mean he might not have been lying when he said he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue because it's like, I do feel like if that had never been corrected and defined corrected, I'm an abolitionist. So it's like, I don't think everyone, if they were guilty, they shouldn't have been in a cage in the first place. But the fact that they weren't, the fact that Trump really wanted them killed and that could have realistically happened at the time, like that would have been fine, I'm guessing, with the 78 million Americans that voted for him. Or was, that was Biden, I'm sorry, 71. <laughs> Still more than any other <laughs> candidate in history besides Joe Biden, right. yeah. uh, which should terrify all of us. 71 million that voted for Donald Trump <sighs> the second time. <laughs> it is terrifying. It's So you've clearly been tracking, you've been tracking um, the state of affairs in the, in the United States for, for quite a while. Can, can you talk about how you got into into activism and music as activism. Can you tell us a little bit about your your beginnings and your background and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, of course. So I definitely grew up in a um, traditional household. Like I actually was raised to be anti-racist. So that is something that's not common, I guess. But I'm from New York. So that I don't know how uncommon that is. If you're like a city kid and your father is a, dnc guy you know like like we're just like if we see a confederate flag in new york it's just hit, like that means war like that they didn't no one brought that there just to show southern pride or whatever like if someone brought a confederate flag to new york city especially but like even long island like if you see that in public like that's that that represents something entirely different than it does for a lot of people apparently in america i don't know how but like to me i was raised to see people on chains on the back of pickup trucks when I saw that flag. It was a declaration of war and it meant these people were here to hurt people or attack people, maybe even me, but probably not me because I'm white. But I, I mean, that's the reality is that, I mean, nowadays that's 
they're attacking, you know, people in Portland, like they have that summer every year, like, you know, and it's just like, they don't come to LA with that. And there's a reason for that. But like, I, I, I'm not saying Portland is not handling it. Well, I'm just saying it's been so normalized that it's problematic. It's now forcing people between a rock and a hard place. And unfortunately that hard place is law enforcement's only on one side on that equation. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think we're there, but Oh my bad. So you did ask me though, like my mm-hmm. beginnings where they come from and the activism music, it all kind of intersects with the fact that, and this is not commonly understood for some ungodly reason for how many times I've said it out loud. I, I think it's hard for people to fathom because class mobility isn't supposed to trickle a certain way, but like I come from the, you know, ownership class. Like I'm, I went to like Westlake high school, you know what I mean? Like this is like, this isn't supposed to be reality where like, you know, that happens and somebody is not doing what they're told. Like I'm supposed to be a good little capitalist, you know, I'm supposed to be a good little neoliberal that votes Democrat justifies all my actions in life and doesn't ask questions because of the fact that I vote Democrat. That makes me a good person. Like, this is how a lot of America's raised. So I was raised by a very patriarchal father who only believes things once they're the popular thing. And like, he, I never really respected them. We haven't talked in over 12 years. And like my mother was always a feminist and my grandmother was like a very, very serious feminist. And I, I soaked a lot of game up from her so I think that's where some of my radicalization, because I've always said that's in my DNA. A lot of people got started in organizing, like, and they remember the exact time, the day, like, and I do too. But the difference for me is I was like, I, I remember it happening in school. I, I was in kindergarten. I got suspended for a legal political campaign. Like, I mean, first grade, but still, I mean, I was six, seven years old. And I really like, and I don't know why is the best part. Like I look back into my mind at the time, no idea what made me think that like Bob Dole needed this level of like political intimidation, like against him. But I, I just, I like, I think I just didn't like how he looked. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I was a kid. All I knew was like, that wasn't happening on my watch. Like I, I'm pretty sure that's how I was raised, you know, like, and that guy doesn't look like someone I would want running the country. So I told kids like, listen to me, like, I have the computer at my house. And like, you know, this is what 1990, 1994, 1995, probably. So it was 94, because 94 election. So like, it was like, I had this IBM, and it like looked interesting. So I brought some kids from the neighborhood over. So I'd have some, you know, proof of concept. And I'm like, that thing's like a government machine. Like my big brother was special forces, which he was, and that's a different story. And so it's like, uh, you know, I have this machine here and it tells me who voted for who. So if your parents vote dull, me and you, we're going to have a problem at school. And they're like, wait, what kind of problem? Like, you know what kind of problem? And they're like, oh, what? And so obviously everyone tells their parents, like Crash said, you know, he'll know who you voted for. And if it's dull, like I'm going to run into problems. And so obviously they called the school like in unison parents too. Like this is a very white area, very wealthy white area. You can imagine how they thought about this, you know, especially considering a lot of these people were closet voting for dull, but not actually doing it. So they had to be careful. Like have their assistant call her. God knows what, you know, Karen had to do to like, you know, not look like they were voting Republican that year, but still file a complaint to the school. And it was an interesting experience. Uh, a lot of adults looked very impressed, but like also they were trying to explain to me, like, listen, like what you did is like kind of a federal crime. <laughs> like you're like a seven year old. So it's not, but like, you can't do that. Like you can't tell people like, hey, this is who you vote for, or there's going to be a physical or like, you know, violent <laughs> or any consequence. And I'm like, Oh, 
Like I'm seven. I don't know. I like I and it, like if I did, I probably would have done it anyway. I'm like I'm seven. I can do what I want. Like so that's when I started organizing. Like I did walkouts of PE. You know, I had demands I sent to the principal every day inside of middle school. Like so, and those demands were wild. Like, like what were can you demand? Yeah, yeah. We we are all of the inquiring minds that want to know what your demands were at seven years old. Oh, good. No, the demands at seven weren't as good as in middle school. Middle school is when it got oh, crazy. Because then I figured, like, that once middle school happened, we were now close ch- no child left behind, which changed the entire ability for me to organize on a school campus. I realized very quickly <laughs> that this new policy did not favor me at all. But what it did favor was good old-fashioned grading curves meaning if everybody walked out of a class everybody got an a because the teacher's going to get fired if everybody fails so i explained this very carefully to every kid you know and i told them listen this is a move we're not going to walk we're going to walk like we're going to walk that mile in pe we're going to let them know and like it got to a point where the principal's talking to my class about not listening to false profits looking me dead in the eye like he, like i was like dude why would you do that at this point i'm smart enough to understand that he's only legitimizing me by like that as being his response and so this continued until he started to meet my demands which became as crazy as him shouting me out every morning on the loudspeaker like announcement <laughs> but like i started to get kim jong-un with it like i started to literally tell me like yo say like shout out to crash for going to the moon yesterday like people know that didn't happen like and like every kid's laughing, he knows this. But like, if he wants kids to deal with the mile at PE, that's what it's going to take. Because of also the whole thing with star testing, how that isn't quote unquote for anybody. But like, let's talk about that for a second too. Where it's like mm-hmm. homework. I understood this as a kid. Like homework is what I didn't do. So I had straight C's. Like I got a hundred percent on all my tests. Like I noticed every school I went to happened to get like a national blue ribbon award or whatever right after I was there. And I'm like, that's star testing shit. I mean, teachers always say that like I'm I'm getting weird scores on star, and so it's like. It looks like since I have straight C's, they're really great teachers, even though I'm just reading other books all day because I already read the textbook. So, like, <laughs> you know, I understood this. So, like, I never, I also understood that's why I never got expelled from a school because they weren't trying to lose what they were getting in funding and, like, you know, favors done by the board and the district for that. And, like, I understood that. So I was like, I'm a show pony, and I understand where I fit in your society, you would have expelled me if I was literally a C student, like, because I wasn't intelligent or whatever. You guys are exploiting the fact that I don't care about homework and that I push back on the authoritarianism behind having a kid be in school longer than people are at work and then have them do like three to four hours of homework and act and then lie to them and say their college uh, admissions board is going to look at their middle school. Like, are you serious right now? They had my friends out there. Sure. Like, Oh, I won't get into college. It's like, no, yeah, yeah, you will. No one looks at eighth grade. No one looks at anything prior to like, you know, 10th grade, realistically. It's just, and no one understood this. So that's when I started organizing. But my first official organizing was like Prop 8. I was still a minor at the time. And so I did a lot of work with Prop 8. Um, I did like a lot of like, like protest like training and like spotting of infiltrators. I was, I, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't the most ethical like of political agents back then, just cause I like wanted to see like what was really going on with the Stephen Miller dude, you know? I, and he was always on the other side rallying people. And I'm like, that's crazy. You know, like that's, 
who is this guy? Like, I thought he was my age until very recently, like a year ago, and it blew my mind. I was like, he was 24 when this went down, and I was a minor. <laughs> like, but yeah, like Stephen Miller and me had a few, like, you know, run ins. I put him on the ground a couple of times, like, just shoving matches. But, like, you know, I, like, I was a kid. Like, looking back, he was a grown man. That's sad. But, like, yeah, that was real life for him. And, like, he was really out there using hate speech. So, like, trying to cross the line. But back then it was like, I understood how to deal with these people. They would show up with their signs, with their hate speech. Like, and I would just be like, listen, bro, like, this isn't okay. So I would like look at their kid because these people had the audacity to bring their kids to condition them to hate people. And that's what really got to me too. And like, I think that's when I started to make these emotional decisions. And so like that helped in a lot of counties that I was working in that were very like, I won't lie, very, um, very, I would say they they were very uh, anti everything that was about that. You know what I mean? And now like the people pretend they weren't, but like these were pretty serious little demonstrations they were doing on the church end. And like, I won't just say the church, just the right. end. and it was weird. The far right was serious about shit. And it was like in these counties, the definite minority were people who were trying to make sure that people could just have human rights met on a basic level or no level that's like literally kind of pro-authoritarian so people can marry the state now. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, and people are mad about that. And so that's nationalistic and that's problematic and it's definitely very um, Hitler-esque. So I wasn't about that. And um, so, yeah, at the time I was very good at making them cancel themselves. You know what I mean? Like they would... I would talk to someone's like three-year-old that they brought and maybe like your dad is the worst person. Your dad shouldn't even bring you here. Blah, blah. And like these guys eventually like have to do what they have to do. You know what I mean? Like, and so they eventually walk across this line and punch me in the face. That's mm-hmm. problematic now because now I can hit them. So I do. And then they're like, uh Oh, and like, they're like, you know, I didn't get that serious because their child is there. And then I would like tell their kid, like, that's what happens if you hate people. And, like, to this day, I wonder if that helped or not. Like, maybe it did. Maybe it helped both of them. I will never know. But, like, I mean, that's, like, I did a lot of that. And I also did a lot of, like, you know, canvassing and things like that. And that's where I really learned how to, like, organize. Because there weren't a lot of organizers on that side of town or whatever at the time that where I was specializing in, which was, like, certain parts of the valley, um, and certain parts of Ventura, which are like very far right, like Catholic areas type of thing. And so, and like also like Thousand Oaks area, Calabasas area, like even Greek Orthodox areas like that. So it was like, it was very intense. And so like, there wasn't a lot of organized. So I had to kind of learn as I went. And then after that, I just started working with whoever. Then I was just like, if it's anti-oppression, I'm there. So it's like, I've worked with Amnesty International. I've like done work with the UN. Like I, I mean, if I wanted to go down a list, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give a resume. It's really like I don't know. I feel like it's a long resume to give, even though I'm 31. It's like that's all I've really done my whole life was make music, make trouble, like for oppression, and that's just who I am. Like I'm just anti, you know, hate. Like there's things that aren't good that people should be in solidarity against uh, none of it applies to the things we see um otherized and ism quote unquote right in the united states and globally yeah the and, and there are so many connections in, with all the different types of oppression that you are you're making really really well um 
and uh, I'll, I'll let Sarah ask, but before I jump down a rabbit hole, I'll let, I'll let Sarah jump in here, but thanks for making all those connections so, you know, fluidly. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Gosh, there's so many things I could ask. Um, I was kind of interested in hearing about your rest story, if you feel comfortable telling that, and how that maybe changed you and influenced your art and activism trajectory. Uh, my what story? A rest story. So. Okay. Well, it didn't change shit. That's more what I mean. Like, because <laughs> I was kind of targeted politically when I got arrested to begin with. Like, this was a weird thing where it was like, it was literally a Trump thing. Like, Trump had this guy on his short list for AG at the time. The DA in that county was really trying to impress. Trump. Like, I don't even know if Trump, like, said like Crash Robos is the worst person in the world they go after him but like I was a good piece of like anti-democrat head to put on a pipe you know what I mean and so like I had my house raided with a no-knock warrant like with nothing illegal in my home I like and I won't lie like I'm not going to say I was never a criminal because I would be lying if I said that but like I was so far removed from that reality like but when my house got raided, like I, by that, I mean like seven years removed from that. Like I was so confused as to what was even going on. And I had noticed like, cause I tend to notice this because like I do activism. So it's like, but I see like anything that looks off, I know. And so like, I noticed I was under surveillance probably, but like, I always think that if I look hard enough, I probably am and always have been because we've normalized surveillance now and I'm guilty of that too, in a way. And so, I mean, this was like a little intensive though. And I noticed it like, after a while though, like it was like weird. And then I'm like, okay. And so apparently I was on a hundred, I found this out after this no knock word, which was presented to me in the form of like eight, eight quote unquote law enforcement. Cause I don't like to legitimize them. Quote unquote law enforcement officers coming to my home, not in uniform, not announcing that they were law enforcement, breaking my window. And putting a gun to my head. If they had thought I was guilty of anything that they put on that warrant, they would not have done that. And especially not without announcing they were law enforcement, because this thing got signed electronically at 2.38 a.m. under the Patriot to put me 120 days of line of sight surveillance, um, which God knows what the taxpayer cost on that was, but that happened. And so they did that and then raided my house. They found nothing illegal. They literally charged me for having medication that I have always taken for my bipolar disorder and other mental health issues. So like, that's really what we're talking about there. And they dragged me through like, you know, a long time in court, like threatening me with wild charges that didn't even make sense. And I'm like, how is that? That's not, you can't do that. The DA looked me in the eye and told me, I could convict you of war crimes on the moon in this county. And the jury wouldn't even ask how you got there. So like, I realized at that point, okay, that's, see, well, that's, that's wild. Like, no, what, not even like, you know, not even like Hitler threatened people like that, thinking it was like, he could probably get away with it unless it was like somebody that was like in a concentration camp already. Like that's the kind of optics we're looking at. Like, so I was just like, uh, no. So like, essentially I got thrown under a bus by like multiple public defenders. Nothing was regular about that trial. They denied every Marsden motion I filed. I'm disabled and have been for a long time. 
they literally denied me mental health court. I don't know under what grounds to this day. I don't know how it was legal to deny mental health court for anything like that, but they did. And like, I tried everything that I was aware of knowing my rights, knowing the law, whatnot. And moral of the story is like, don't talk to the police. <laughs> Cause like when they arrested me, they asked me questions about normal things like normal ass things and said like hey do you know this person essentially that showed me weird shit they pulled off of the internet like that made no sense in context to what they were asking and that's what i said like like literally like weird things that were sent to like friends of mine even, where it was like hey do you know the price of like a xanax bar and it's like we're like i i don't know i was 26 i think at the time like that they actually put me in cuffs for that thing like that's not the first time that i was ever wrongfully convicted or what no it's the first time i was ever wrongfully convicted of anything it was the not the first time i had been a political prisoner though because i i did like about three months in la county during occupy and i wasn't even part of occupy i thought that was a weak movement because like if they wanted to do anything real they would have just wait in line at the bank and shut down capital people would have started talking to them real quick so i wasn't really a part of that but um <laughs> there happened to be an overflow in the jails at the time so at that time like i actually was there just not even under formal charges with anything like they just quote unquote lost me in the system conveniently until I have been put on a docket at all at the time I think there were 10 or 11 courthouses in LA County and they literally brought it to every one of them and like it got dismissed in all of them and then they finally had to like let me go but like my my own parents like it, it could it and that's a whole other issue to get into is like how LA County differs from Ventura County like it's like my own parents like couldn't find me like within that jail system and it wasn't just because I wasn't filed into it but like it's like a city in Twin Towers, you know what I mean? Like you can get lost in there. It's a way different freedom wise. It's not like county jail is in where they ended up getting me in Ventura County and then sending me to Todd Road, which is a level four security facility. That kind of thing is usually reserved for serial killers. Like, and not even all of them, just some of them. Like the, those cells crack open less than three hours a day the level of security and supervision you're under is absurd. And like, it, so yeah, that was like not the best. Um, but yeah, like that was something where I was targeted. I'm assuming politically, like I, I'm not going to lie. I'm never everybody's favorite person. So it wasn't just the government targeting me. And I, at the end of the day, like the police had a lot of questions about things that I didn't know about. And I, but like I might have been able to find out about, but either way, it has no relevance to my life. So it's like they were asking me, like, "Yo, can you do our jobs for us and shit?" Like, basically, you know what I mean? They're like, "Yo, can you, can you, like, I know you know people, like, can you ask if anyone knows about this?" I'm like, "This isn't even relative to what you guys were talking about, like anything on the warrant, like, and like they literally wrote things I had never heard of on the warrant. Like they said I had 99 machine guns, like M4s to be specific." They said that I had Semtex. They said that I had C4. Like, this is how they got the Patriot Act signed. That's what I mean about that wild move, like, to get the no-knock warrant and then not even announce it to police officers that when you think I'm preparing for the apocalypse. You know what I mean? Like, like they really showed up at my buddy's house and they had a gun to his head. And, like, they were trying to question him on my whereabouts and, like, make sure he couldn't, like, call me. They had my street blocked off. They were checking my neighbor's IDs. Like, this was a stunt politically to demonize me and nothing more or less. And in my opinion, like, who does that? They, Pablo Escobar doesn't even get rated like that, where, like, they have literal police blocking traffic in a school neighborhood. Like, literally, there's a school right there. They got 
you know, just for people to get to their houses, they're having to show their ID to the police because they're getting ready for a very serious raid. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think it's like, you know, what's that besides a political hit job? Yeah. They put me in a cage. Did it change who I was or my radicalization? Hell no. Like, it made it made me louder. So it was a dumb move if their intention was to make me quieter. Mm-hmm. That's what I have to say about that, I guess, you know, like, but, um, you, yeah, I hate jails. I hate prisons. Like, a lot of people who are there shouldn't be there. And a lot of people who are there who are guilty shouldn't be there. That's the truth. Um, Because a lot, like, most of the people who are really in the system are there on a probation violation that shouldn't even be a crime in the first place. And it's still not even really a law violation. A lot of, what is it, 78, 78, I think, percent of people who are incarcerated, especially in state prisons, due to a technical violation, meaning, like, they got put on probation for something, like, really random that definitely every politician just not got caught for. And then... A technical violation such as police contact meaning if you're outside of your home and your id gets run because the cop feels like you know asking for your name that's considered a technical violation please contact like that's not you didn't break the law you're just breathing and existing in society so that to me that's a insidious form of incarceration to have people under because it's like there's so many weird rules about probation and they can make shit up, which they did in my case. Like my my probation terms in the when my when, when Ventura was still my supervising guy, my probation terms were like so long. There was things I hadn't heard about my probation terms. Like I literally had to ask my PO, I'm like, "What's that that I can't have?" Out of curiosity, obviously I don't know what it is, but I'm just curious as to what that is. And she's like, "No, this is like some weird shit. Like this is literally something from the 1920s that like um." people used to beat up protesters from the labor movement. Like, I don't know why they're bit, like up that gamut. Like, I think that's what they're talking about. It's like an old police weapon, which you would never have in the first place. Like who writes that down? And I'm like, judge young, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's yeah. Wow. It, it seems like it's like the, it is, that is an absolutely, um, I don't want to say like it's shocking because nothing authoritarian shocks me anymore in this nation, but it's a really excellent um, example of what you kind of touched on, which is that the laws are created to turn poor people into criminals and um, to keep politicians in power and to keep the the wealthy and the empowered and the, the rich in power. And you know, that's why they, you know, you can, you can buy your way out of almost any crime um, I say almost, you know, because we've seen but it's a few close. get thrown it's, under the bus. There's a few sacrificial It's very lambs. close, though. It's very yeah. close. That's what I, it's yeah. that bad. But the system is very much so. But you're better off rich and guilty than poor and innocent. And so yeah. that's problematic in itself. But when you see that being intentionally used, like when you see people literally targeting people at certain times of the month, knowing they get paid at certain times of the month, which is a disability issue on its own, but whatever. And it really gets to a point where you're wondering at that, like, like is this even like remotely ethical to even the most fascist prosecutor? I, I don't really know. At this point, it feels like a lot of people are going with whatever they're supposed to do. And that to me is, um, it's very similar to what the SS was doing. 
I'm not going to like, I'm not really going to pull punches on that. Like, I'm not going to say it's genocide. I'm not going to compare it to the Holocaust, but I'm going to say like what they're doing is they're, these people actually walk around with moral high ground in their mind. That's what's wild to me. They walk around as if they're heroes because they could be making all this money in the private sector, but they're doing quote unquote civic service by putting people in cages. And it's like, that's just not it. Like, and so it's the state of mass psychosis that people are living in. We're like, that's a cult. It's a death cult. Fascism is a death cult. And like, so is neoliberalism. And like, sometimes they intersect at weird places like the courtrooms, you know? And the Republican Party, I don't even know if it's a death cult now because it's not really a cult. It's like QAnon's a cult. The GOP doesn't have a basis right now. They have Trumpism. That's it. But like, if, I'm not going to give them free advice, but I'm just saying, like, they have a blank slate right now. The Democrats wish they did. Yeah. It's so bizarre because it's just like all of our politics have just become cults of personality in this country. They're not even like connected to the material reality of people's lives anymore. <laughs> but, sadly, sadly. On the plus side of that, though, it leaves a lot of space for people who are entertainers, musicians, artists to step in and be like, hey, you want a cult of personality? I can cult of personality. Let's do this shit. So, and in that vein, that was one of the things I was very um, excited to talk to you about as a musician, um, as a musician activist. Like, I would love to know how you've seen that, you know, artistic medium, you know, be become a, a useful piece of your, your work and organizing and, and good troublemaking. I wouldn't call it useful. Like not no. yet, you know, I would well, yeah, say, I shouldn't I'm, say you, like, useful is a bad word. Lost, I'm sorry. I should, art food, isn't useful. You know, like because <laughs> of that, like, you know what I mean? The police literally dragged me down to Rampart station. Cause I was big. I have a song where I'm very specifically talking about the LAPD, but very, very specifically the Rampart division in a certain year. And I bring, they, they're not into it okay and like yeah they've had they've told me not to do things like step away from the microphone as if it was a weapon before like which is stupid like you know what i mean it's stupid like i'm doing a charity show this isn't making anyone look good and why is a city council official here backing y'all up that's even weirder to see but anyway like yeah that's happened and like that's how i lost it i got i got beaten in a level of the rampart station that was no cameras like i mean it was like some basement level that looked like honestly you know what i've been down there since rodney king like that's a real thing like it's that weird and like they took me down there they beat my ass they left me shackled and like the captain came down and had the audacity to apologize to me it was like i don't know what happened but this is not okay and i'm like bro like get your hands off of me stop acting like we're friends like the fact that this goes on here and you've known this goes on here bro so like just uncuff me if you're really like quote unquote, sorry, but don't act like you're a human being right now. You're not. You're like about as human as people who are just pushing the button on the nukes or, you know, hit. like it's just not okay. Dude. Like you're literally worse. You're like, a, you're worse than a prison guard at this point. Like you're co-assigning that kind of brutality for, and which is like low-key, like let's talk about it. If you want to be a nationalist, it's like, that's a violation of the First Amendment. That's some un-American ass shit coming from some very pro-American ass people, right? Like it's very, it's mass psychosis. Like these are conflicting ideologies. It, it, it's wild to me that people are walking around with literal oxymoronic, like 
ideology points. And it's like, that's normalized. Like pro-lifers supporting the death penalty. Like that's normalized for how many people in America? You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revolutionary times with Joy Damiani and Sarah Baranowskis. And our guest on this episode, Crash Barbosa. We are located on the internet at whatthefolkpod.com and on all your streaming platforms. And if you're enjoying us, we hope you'll take a moment and subscribe and leave us some stars and leave us some love. And if you would like to know more about our guest, you can go to crashbarbosa.com. And if you want to know more about our guest, Crash Barbosa, you can find him on Instagram at Crash Barbosa. And we hope you'll enjoy hearing the rest of what he has to say. Now back to the interview. It's everywhere you look. Yeah, people are are embodying oxymoron. Um, we're we're just yeah we're an oxymoron nation in a, in a way. <laughs> we we call ourselves united, and we're the most divided, um, <laughs> and divisive. You know, I mean, just starting with the name alone, we're barely even states. We don't have a real democracy. I did you get to vote on going to war? I didn't get to vote on the Patriot Act. Did you get to vote on the Patriot? I didn't. I vote on any of it. <laughs> <laughs> so have we declared war since Act. World War II? Nope, but we've had a couple of drafts. Like, how? How is that even a thing? Like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> I could go down a rabbit hole about that, but I'll let Sarah ask something before I rabbit hole. I, I really, I'm, I've been, I've been pulling myself back from the rabbit hole precipice, like leaning back. Yeah. You may rabbit Thank hole you. some. I mean. <laughs> I give you permission no, to no. We'll we'll jump down we'll jump down there before our time is done. I we I know we don't have a ton more time, so I might save my favorite rabbit holes till the end. But um, Sarah, go Sarah, go ahead before uh, rein me in, pull me back. <laughs> well, the one thing I wanted to add to your point was cognitive dissonance is a hell of a drug, and this nation is high as fuck. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't really have a second to the next question from that, but. Um, it's really interesting hearing about your mental health activism as someone who sort of had my own struggles in that area. I think they're different than what yours are, but I have a lot of empathy for that and think it's really important to sort of normalize those conversations. So I'd love to hear more about that work that you do. Thank you so much for bringing that up because like the most radical people, that's the last thing they want to hear about is anything related to mental health or disability, unless they're talking about quote unquote self-care and retreats. Right. Like, and it's like, no, 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 that's toxic. It's going to get people killed. Like that's not okay. Like we can't have this stigmatization further normalized. So thank you so much for that. Like, I don't think there should be a stigma. Um, I have bipolar disorder. I have bipolar one to the point where that's like what I'm actually like, you know, that NPTSD are what I'm like permanent disabled for. And like, if for people who don't understand what like TPD means, it's really whack. Like it's when the government really classifies you. And like, this happened to me at a young age, like 23 years old, like I was classified as like totally permanently disabled. Like I can walk, like, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm disabled due to my mental health. And that's a serious statement. Like they don't like, I'll put it this way. They don't like to hand that out to a 23 year old. They do not like to give somebody a temporary status with no pending reviews ever. That that's not really a thing. So it's like, they really put me through hoops, like board of neurology and all of that, like coming out to talk to me. And it was an interesting thing to go through. My mental health advocacy, my, my mental health advocacy is based around 
my experience more so as a teenager, because to me, that's the most relevant time in mental health. For me. And I worry that people could be there one day. I'm lucky I was there at that time. So lucky. I can't even begin to come, like to even express like how lucky it's like, I can't imagine what my life would look like if what happened to me at 15 happened to me today, it would upend my life. Like luckily I was 15. I didn't have that many responsibilities. You know what I mean? No one was asking me to do anything besides show up to a useless American educational institute. Like, but like other than that, like there was nothing I had to do, but like I was in a state of psychosis due to obsessive compulsive disorder at the time that had been going on for a very long time. But like, that's when it got to a point where it was, literal psychosis i thought people were trying to and like i'm going to be very vulnerable right now and like actually talk about like what was going through my head and not just name dsm off you know what i mean so it's like i'm i really was at a point in my life where i would go to school and i would think that people were trying to like or able to not even trying to but able to like either intentionally or like unintentionally like come into my psyche and like overtake my body and my life. And I would just be like forced to float around and watch my life play out as a third party. It was almost like theft of my like entire existence. And like, this was only one of many psychotic delusions I had. There's some weird levels of narcissism in that I feel like, but like, I don't think you can really, I mean, at least therapists have always told me you can't really look at things like that when it's that psychotic to begin with. It's like, it doesn't matter what you're thinking. Don't overanalyze all of that. Just realize you got through that. And it was because that wasn't it. It was like, I was also like, I thought my parents would die. You know what I mean? If I didn't wash my hands after having certain quote unquote negative thoughts, like I was flipping a hello, like, like white light switches. So I had to go through exposure response therapy, which is very, very like for anyone who's listening and isn't aware of this, like very difficult because your therapist is not there the whole time. You also have to trust your therapist a lot. So I push back anytime people like leave therapy because their therapist isn't good or more so even when people go to a therapist once a week, and they don't actually want to open up to said therapist. It's like, you can fire your therapist. And I think a lot of people don't talk about that where it's like a lot of people go to therapy and they act like that's their boss. It's like, no, they work for you. Like, like yeah. literally like you pay them. Like, like the average person like me will go through 20 therapists when I switch a therapist before I find another one. And I only switch therapists when I've gotten to know someone so well that like, it gets to that point where like, I don't know how much we can talk about further unless like, I need a couple's therapy or something. But like, other than that, like we're cool, you know, they know my soul. So it's like, you know, yeah. And I'm, when it comes to um, that is like, you know, so I pushed back on that. I wanted to definitely normalize that where it's like, if somebody has a therapist, like, and they go there and they don't feel like they can say whatever is on their mind outside of weird hippo things. Um, like, you really shouldn't be going to that therapist. You can get a different therapist that will actually help you. Like, so for me to go through ERT, which is exposure response therapy without going down a rabbit hole is essentially having to face your worst fears, which are these like literal psychotic delusions at this point of obsessive compulsive disorder when it gets that severe. And you have to just go with the quote unquote trust and faith like and hope or whatever that these things won't happen because that's just reality if you don't listen to your compulsion part of your OCD and this is not easy to do like this is like you really are there sweating you know 
But the more you do it, the less you realize, like the more you realize that this is not real. But more importantly, because that's not right away, more importantly, the more you do it, the less you're like, every single time you're like, you really think you're putting somebody else you care about's life in danger, whatever else the delusion is behind that because it's different from person to person. But so that was an intense experience, which required not just trust in my therapist, which is why I just brought up the importance of having a therapist you can trust. Ideally one that has a therapist as well, but like, because I don't think only mentally ill people should be in therapy at all. No, everyone should. And they should do it all the way. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's really healthy. I think it's great. Um, and so, yeah, and as far as bipolar disorder and all of that goes, I mean, you know, PTSD happens to be from a lot of things, state-sanctioned violence um, and other stuff that's happened to me, but mostly state-sanctioned violence, honestly, because being mentally ill at that age leads to a lot of rubber bullets and 5150s because people don't know what to do when you're freaking out. And I would say I'll always be a work in progress. Like, I, I, I play to my strength. Right. Like I'm bipolar one. Like I'm very good at being manic. So that means I'm a very good most most I'll put it this way, most politicians, they're good at speaking and they're also bipolar. Welcome to they didn't go to therapy and get diagnosed or no one talks about it. But that's reality. Like a lot of uh CEOs, a lot of people are bipolar. And it's called playing your strengths at that point. And like I think it's important that people just don't necessarily rely on playing their strengths either because that can be just as problematic for your life but for me i try to make sure i don't harm others that's the most important thing as a bipolar person because like we hurt ourselves a lot like no one wants to be in my head for five minutes i can promise you that like every therapist or psychiatrist i've ever had has told me they'd rather die and they were not kidding they looked me in the eyes when they said this like didn't be in my head for even 15 minutes so it's like that's a real thing but i'm literally also a work in progress to where it's like i no longer have to be dictated by that right like it's like i can notice when i'm having a trauma response and not have a trauma response i can notice if uh I'm starting to feel too manic and check myself now because I know my triggers and I wouldn't be able to know all of this without therapy. That's why I'm pushing so hard for therapy, right? Because if, if this were to have happened to me in the middle of my life, I would be, if I would have been done for it. And this could happen to a lot of people. A lot of people have this happen to them and nobody talks about it. And so it's so important to normalize that conversation in every community. But I mean, let's be honest, like the white, people of the world don't have that much of a problem. Like my father did. He called my med my meds weirdo pills. He called psychology witchcraft and things like that. Like he's I didn't luckily I didn't respect him, but like that's a real thing. You know what I mean? Like so it's like that's scary. And so like I've noticed in other communities, like the community I currently live in, like a lot of communities like there it's better now, but there used to be a lot more pushback in non-white communities my dad being Sicilian that kind of applies honestly and it, it's that whole manly man thing like like we don't talk about our problems because like we can handle it like we're men like be the man of the house which goes back to patriarchy and I think a lot of male mental illness yeah. is literally completely intersected with toxic toxic ideas like you're the man of the house as a three-year-old 
about snaps. What? Yeah. You know, like what? Just kind of snapping. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. Uh, but yeah, that's just real though. You, it, who says like, and that's normalized. Like how many men have heard that? Like I, it's everyone I know, you know, it's like, you're protecting your mother at three. <laughs> how? Yeah. Like, yeah. are you training with firearms at three? Like, what's going on here? Like, are there even firearms in the house? My dad's anti-gun, like a good old Democrat, you know? So it's like, bro, what are you talking about? I'm the man of the house. Like, check the logs. I can't reach the highest one. <laughs> Make me feel inadequate uh, right now about my love of protect. Like, I thought we had dogs. <laughs> that, thank you for bringing it right back around to that because, yeah, I mean – and and it's not like you could help but bring it right back around. Like, all these issues are connected. And um, mainly, you know, when you keep tracing them back, we end up with patriarchy, capitalism, imperialism, ownership, as you say. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, and this, this idea that the patriarchy has of, like, if it, that if the patriarchy falls, it will be like a woman patriarchy, like the matriarchy is like the lady patriarchy, and it's like no, that's actually exactly. I'm no, into that idea, not. but women, but no, <laughs> men that I work with are into that idea. I'm into that idea. Like I don't know why y'all didn't tell us all hundreds of years ago. Coordinated messaging, you know what I mean? Like we were like, busy sleep next to them. We sleep next to them. They're stupid. Like you know, all the kings dead. Y'all should have done it. Kept me, kept guys like me around just for breeding purposes in cages. That's what you should have done. Like, but now the world's gonna end. We're playing a long con. We're playing yeah. a long con over here. We I feel like maybe there was a weak one somewhere down the line that like let one of one of y'all out of the cage. I was like, he's fine. He's this one's nice. This one's nice though. He's nice. He's nice. Nah. They're like we're we're all unlearning at best, right? Like so, no, like it's like like I can like identify these things. It doesn't mean I've like I I've suffered at the hands of them only because of how toxic they become, like in strange things like that, right? But it's right. It's not like it, I've been harmed, but like it's the Salem witch trial. Like like in reality, what was the reality of that? You know what I mean? Like that was right. literally weird. Like that was like dudes cheating on their wives like and calling someone a witch that was like jealous that was like mean girls too that was literally like other wives are like i don't like her she's attractive i don't trust my husband around her like then why are you married to the piece of shit like but like you know like it's like like but like why is why are you calling why is her marriage, a witch right? and burning her <laughs> yeah like, and yeah. Then, like oh, yeah. exactly. there's that whole part of marrying the state and then like hiding behind that to call other people immoral like as a male, I can't tell you how many, how much more common I've noticed it is for married women to talk to men who might be married, may not be, but like be okay with that and like tell you like, oh no, this is my call. Like I'm in a unhappy thing. And like, I think it's problematic that it's normalized for women to stay in relationships that like don't make them happy. But like, it is very common. Like, I mean, I can speak only in my personal experience, but like, it's very common that the institution of marriage only seems to apply when convenient to both parties is at least LA, you know what I mean? At least New York. Like, and then like there's people who are married in polyamorous, like y'all and y'all did your vows in a church. Like, and, like, like just keep it 100. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's me. It's wild. <laughs> yeah. Really? yeah. I, I, first of all, thank you so much for speaking so clearly on all of these different 
and similar topics, you know, um, state oppression, um, unlearning patriarchy, you know, recognizing like what a matriarchy would actually look like, which I would, I, in, in the, yes, that is how I, how I would like to frame our next, our next potentially last question. Let's, because I want to, I want to send people to your music and everything, but I really, really want to know what your, vision or understanding is of like what the matriarchy would look like if like if if we're if we're obsoleting the patriarchy which it seems like we are you know in a large arc um what does what does the next what does the matriarchy rising look like to you a male um who does not seem and correct me if i'm wrong who does not seem to be afraid of the patriarchy falling <laughs> in fact that people are afraid of the patriarchy falling it's the funny part to me like <laughs> you know what i mean like people want responsibilities like that like no like bro you know what i mean like you're talking about not being able to like yeah like you could stay at home with like to me it's wild it's all i'm saying it's like the fact that men feel threatened by a matriarchy and i don't think that's what we're looking at when we talk about dismantling the patriarchy i honestly don't i think we're talking about a much more inclusive society and i think it would hopefully at least be more uh non-male in who's running different things but like i don't know if that would have to always be the rule or whatever it could be the exception a lot of times it doesn't i think it matters more about the person because if we're going to talk about the patriarchy women and them will perpetrate patriarchal acts subconsciously on a daily basis and never think twice about it. it I mean, it's problematic. So I think a matriarchy would look healthy because I think it's similar to like when people ask me, like, what are men looking for? Like, that's a stupid question. But like, like I'll be asked that in an interview sometimes, like, what do men want in a relationship nowadays? And like, I don't know. Like, I see all these dudes doing all this thing. But like, what I can tell people is that men are looking for and they won't admit this but they're looking for another mom hmm. so like i don't know why they're pushing back so hard against a matriarchy because like <laughs> they're trying to marry their mother whether they like it could be the opposite of their mother <laughs> but like they're looking for a secondary mother even if they have a good mother they're looking for a second one that's what it is like men are looking for a <laughs> safe space where they can be vulnerable with that one person then go fight the world you know and it's like <laughs> That's a really bad way to look at it, but that's how Neanderthalish most of my, unfortunately, most of my peers are. So I agree that, yeah, no, the matriarchy to me would look very similar, just very much, um, it would probably be less oppressive, for, like 100% it would be less oppressive, even if it was the current matriarchy that took power. Like, And I mean like Feinstein, Pelosi, but like if they didn't have to deal with men, like I still feel like we'd be closer to abolition than like we think. But like, I'm not, and I'm not trying to give them peanuts right now. Trust me. I'm just trying <laughs> yeah, to say, you. even they, you know, it's like, yeah. like I'd rather have them in charge than 99.9% .9 of men. Yeah. And that includes, and like, I'd be, I'm going to say this, like, cause I have to always say stuff that's real, like that no one would have the audacity to say, but I'm going to say like, let's talk about the, like, you know, I worked on Prop 8, but like after that, like you saw a lot of white men who were not heteronormative, quote unquote, who were gay, who had been in relationships. They got married. They consolidated capital. 
and all of a sudden they're not down with BLM? Like these are the people now calling the cops when people say no justice, no peace. It's to me wild. You know what I mean? So I think there's a proximity to whiteness that we're under all the time. And we have to always be aware of that. So I, that's why I push so hard back against um, anything that promotes segregation, anything that promotes fragility, low key. Like, and I think fragility is important. White fragility is one of my favorite pieces of literature, all facts ever written. But like, we, people need to be able to go to a place, I think, that we're all that way, like, post-fragility, where, like, you can so critically think. Like, people ask me all the time, like, what's abolition? Like, what's this? I'm like, it's not a fucking cult. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a cult. Like, I'm not going to, like, do you want the company line or do you want to critically think about something? Like, I think it's better off if, like, we're all trying to clone ourselves as many times as possible rather than build hegemony in a, the same structure of the oppressor very literally yeah and also kind of how that all relates to capital too i mean even if you look at like obama is a good example of this like he had community <laughs> organizing background now he's threw himself like how many million dollar birthday party like i mean that's it's it's almost like it can you can also just trace it back to capital always trace it back to the same shit man Man, we could talk to you for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew when I first started texting with Crash, we started talking about some of the stuff and I was like, I feel like we need to save some of this conversation for Sarah because she has thoughts. Yeah. And um, <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I just want to say, I appreciated you talking about OCD. I also have OCD. Um, my shit's been a little different, but I've been through some of the exposure therapy stuff. So I always appreciate people talking about OCD because I feel like it's something that people are just like, oh, you clean your house. I'm like, no, I wish that would be very yeah. useful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't leave my house for days <laughs> because I'm counting And the ableism things. too. And the ableism yeah. when people are like, I'm so OCD about this. It's like, what did you just say? Like, cause it's like, that's real trauma for some people, you know? Like, and it's like, I don't like to be petty, but like, it is weird that people do that. It's like, you're, I mean, I you're OCD. Like, right. about it about what like you're the what's hanging off your car when that's not the same thing people yeah. who have ocd are talking about you like right. it's that <laughs> yeah i had to unlearn that for sure i'm and i still have a lot of ableist language language that i use um a, a lot and i even you know i have post-traumatic stress which is a, another invisible mental illness until it's extremely visible um, and I think a lot of people in this country have post-traumatic stress, especially by now, since we've been under attack by um, fascists and neoliberals and, you know, basically the corporatocracy for all this time. Um, but yeah, it's it's a constant unlearning for me, too. I, I think that, um, you know, the, the place I've had to finally learn to come to and learning to be kind to myself is like recognizing that I'm always going to be fucking up somehow, but also like that there's a lot of shit that I can learn about and unfuck and it'll be great. Like I can easily do that. I can easily have conversations with people who have experiences I don't have, learn about them, you know, and, and be like, Oh, maybe I've been fucking up shit. Let's like not anymore. <laughs> and I love that because that's real. Like that's, that's what I like entire like that my entire existence on it's like people think like oh you're a disability advocate you must know i can't know everything that's why the ada is unenforceable because my accessibility needs are very different than other people with bipolar disorder let alone like someone who can't walk like so not 
and it, to me, it's very interesting that people like to, you know, have like people who can walk in certain spaces who have invisible disabilities to advocate for the disabled. But like when you see like the parties with the Democrats, even MPOs are very guilty of this, no matter what they say, when they say solidarity with the disabled, like it's like they really like to other people with disabilities very visibly. So it's like they take people with vis visible disabilities, very visible disabilities or very audible or both disabilities. They put them in a stage, they call it representation, but they know damn well what they're doing, which is right. making it like, yeah, this isn't us though. But like people who have an invisible disability, right? It's like, that's too close to home. My own friends don't want to truly believe I'm disabled because that means they might be too. And I think mm -hmm. that's an insidious thing that exists in society. And a lot of it's subconscious. So I'm very guilty of ableism myself because I'm more able-bodied than a lot of people. And when it comes to like public safety and if we want to include public safety in the accessibility conversation, I would say that almost every woman is more disabled than I am when it comes to, can they go for a walk without being afraid? And I think men should think about that. Because like they should no 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 non cis male period. Let's just go that far with it because we should should ever like no one period, but like no one at all should ever have to worry about their actual safety when they leave their house, no matter where they live. Like there's no matter where you live though, as a fam, you are not safe. If you might be. But like, you're really not sure it's a coin flip. You know what I mean? You might, you're going to get cat called. Like things happen. Like this is traumatic. And these are people have to understand these are threats of violence. Like people think a cat calls like just like, oh, it's, ah, it's funny. It's not funny. It's literally it's violent speech because it's a threat of violence. And that's not how people even likely intend it most of the time. But that's what it is. And so I wanted to dive into that too, because that does fall into the category of ableism where it's like, as a male, almost everything I say is ableist. Cause like I walk out of the house thinking about like, who might I have to flex on? Not like who might actually try to come take my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, so like protect women. Yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. You're touching on how, you know, uh, ableism and disability the way we classify disability it's like disabled for what like what do you have the ability to do oh participate in the capitalist patriarchal system like so fine great you shouldn't actually that means you're actually like you're extra able like hey you can exist outside of this system in a lot of ways good job you know I think of I think <laughs> I think of that with you know with with post-traumatic stress it's it's made me you know being being you know sexually assaulted by fellow soldiers made me highly incompatible with the patriarchy and you know that's what you know it's sort of like, and I, I don't mean to sit, drop it. Like I say things, we all talk about our trauma casually, right? Like this is a thing that happened and people are like, hold on, hold on, what? But, but it's like it, the, the quote unquote disabilities that we end up with are, it's like because we don't conform to this system that wants us to fit in and shut up and be productive. Like I got out of the military thinking that people like, that the government shouldn't, you know, I don't know. I had this very like weird libertarian outlook when I got out of the military. It was very strange. I don't know. I read Ayn Rand. I was fucking 
all the way up my own ass. I don't know. Whatever. I also read Chomsky in the military. I don't, I don't fucking know. Whatever. Um, and, but I got, (laughs) I got out with this sense of like, well, if I can, um, you know, like people should, people shouldn't have to, um, you know, uh, make space for other people, like let them fight it out or whatever. Like this is, I had, I had this, I had some fucking weird ideas, weird ideas until I met the anti-war veterans and they started and went to school and started getting my head unfucked. But like, these are the, the, the words we use even are like part of the system. Like what, what would you, what word would you prefer people use instead of disabled when it comes to like the, the, your special features you know i don't know like honestly i think that's still a marginalization so it has to exist like i don't like like if we're going to talk about language i think it's much more important that the first thing we do is uh delegitimize non-legitimized pieces of oppression and power like i don't i don't refer to anyone as their official title if they're an oppressor. Like a district attorney is getting called by their first name by me, whether I'm using a megaphone or they ask me to meet with them to talk about how they could be more woke, quote unquote. You know what I mean? So it's like, Mm. that's just reality. Like, And I think it's important that when we watch our language, the most important thing that we can't be doing right now is not using um, divisiveness in our language towards people who are like, within solidarity of us. But the problem is to talk about solidarity is solidarity comes from the labor movement. And the labor movement is the basis template for most great organizers that I know. What concerns me when these are white organizers is that that was a segregated movement. And I mean, at least the solidarity part was right. And so it's like when you're talking about people paying each other's rent so that like people get strike and not go to work to get the 40 hour work, which, by the way, all the nationalists that are listening, like happened after even the UK and France took their authoritarianism down a notch and applied these things in their countries. We had kids still working after that was banned, like in most of the Western world, people we rebelled against essentially. So there you go for the nationalism. But like, I think it's very important that like we delegitimize the institutions that have no legitimacy. Like to say something like, especially being a veteran, you could understand this, like to say something like military intelligence, how wild is that? Mm-hmm. Like we're really talking about <laughs> oxymoronic phrases at this point, right? Like the U S department of justice, um, the U S yeah. department of labor, um, what the hall of justice i went, I went the to the defense justice. information school i mean like <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, yeah that's more i hear you that's more the plane i'm interested oh, i was just gonna say that's more the level i'm interested in too when it comes to these conversations about language and i sometimes immediately get a little frustrated because i feel like people think if they use the right words that's some that's a replacement for actual making people's lives better totally forget like somebody literally said to me one time and not knowing me that well you know obviously this only happened in all white space this would never happen in like a non-all white space and you know someone said we don't use the term felon anymore i said what yeah we don't use the term felon now we use the term convicted of a felony and i'm like as a felon that's way more offensive that implies i actually saw a trial i didn't they made me flee out with threats of terrorism on my life and so it's like that's 98 percent of people like are on a guilty plea no no one's really seeing fair trials out here unless they're really like Mm. you know rich and 
guilty usually like some people play it all the way out to trial but a lot of people lose if they don't have money and so that's the really problematic part they're not going to push any a trial they're going to lose and so yeah it's just for me that's wild to legitimize you know what i mean because it's just it like i don't like saying un-american because like that's like McCarthy as shit, but like it's mm-hmm. un-American. It's like anti what people from the McCarthyist camp would be doing, you know. And so yeah. to me, it's just these are very oxymoronic phrases that we have to delegitimize. Like like when we're talking about conspiracy, like people are getting charged with conspiracy. <laughs> like what? Is, what is the government as it functions right now? Right. You know what I mean? Like, like, can, we, can we get a can we get equal opportunity conspiracy charges out here? Like no, apparently not. Like, you know, it's like, Thank you. Yeah, so it's it, me. It's just whoa. Like this is whoa. And people are very um. I think we touched on this very early on in this. Like people have normalized authoritarianism at this point where it's okay to pander at the end of like, and we see this happen, but like to hear that, like, like we don't use the term felony, we use convicted of a felony. Like that implies like that you actually have like even a jury of your own quote unquote peers make a statement on you. No, not like the quote unquote people. I don't remember this happening. I don't remember when a ballot went out in California that was a yes or no. Do you hate press or both? I don't recall that going out to mm-hmm. Californians. I don't remember me being against the people in my damn life. Like I remember me doing a lot for the people and like people like the DA, never the people. Like these DAs get elected with such a ridiculous amount of votes. Like a lot of people don't understand this. Like, like, like no one really cares about the DA position. They usually just vote for the incumbent unless like an issue was pressed. And like the amount of people who skip that because they're quote unquote unsure in the neoliberal mm-hmm. camp. It's like there's DAs who really get elected in very populated counties bordering LA with a total of like under a hundred votes. Like, we're really messing up out here. That's like, what, one, you go to one high school and talk about this DA, those kids turn 18, they mail their state, their out-of-state ballots in from college or whatever, boom, that's a swung election. So to me, it's crazy that everyone overlooks. And I, we have, we were guilty of leaving the youth out. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. Like, I, I feel like Gen Z hasn't been included in the movement. I feel like the children who are in school nowadays, even less so. I think a lot of adults, including myself, have been talking on their behalf. They don't have a voice and people have been making vaccine mandates and COVID mandates around these kids' actual existences who haven't actually been formally addressed this entire time while not being allowed to see their friends, while watching their parents day drink all day. Well, like, you know what I mean? And some people, I know a lot of people who were great parents during the pandemic, but I know a lot of people who, I don't know a lot of people who weren't, but like, I know a lot of people who work in education, so I know what they know. And like, I also know what was normalized and like, yeah, it's like, it's really sad that these, if there's one crash proposed in any of those generations, they look at us and they're okay. Boomerang the millennials any day now. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say. So we need to really be more inclusive when it comes to age as well. Cause like the generational divide between uh, baby boomers and millennials is a more toxic level of a uh, civil war, like inside of American culture, I think than almost anything else. Like that's so terrifying to me that like, it's all about proximity to how many seats that generation will hold within government. I mean, millennials act like they care, but 
do we, how many millennials are in the government right now? We're the only, even Gen X was ahead of us in representation by my age in government. So it's just, we should be ashamed of ourselves. And that's, I'm going to be 100% when I say it, like, should I be ashamed of myself? Yeah. Like I could have always done better. Like, but like, no, like as a generation more, so we should be ashamed of ourselves. We're like letting this happen. Like how much complaining are we allowed to do when we, when we didn't do anything to stop this, when we didn't do anything to make sure this wasn't the case, we did a lot, but like, I think a lot of us have overlooked like conventional politics, which are needed within change and everything like that, like running Mm -hmm. through office. And I think a lot of that, circles back to what I was saying about people being kept in this space of fragility intentionally oftentimes by segregated orgs where they don't want to do something that they actually could do. They don't want to progress. They don't want to actually have a voice they want. And like leaders really should, if they're going to call themselves leaders, which they shouldn't be doing, like if someone else calls you a leader, then fine. But like, I don't really look at myself as a leader. I look at myself as somebody that like happens to have people listening to me for some godly reason. Like, and I know I believe in the right thing. And when I don't, you know, I make sure I'm on the right side of things. Like, it's like, it's not like I make sure of that consciously. I do the right thing. That's what I'm saying. It's not hard. Like, like I don't do that much compared to what other people have done historically. I'll put it that way. And no one, none of us really do if we can put it in certain contexts. And I think that with the way we have access to information now, with the way we can all communicate from different areas, like very easily, like, yeah, that plays into the surveillance state as well, but it also plays into things that we're not doing and could be doing. And I, it's something I call for a lot is more inclusivity because I, I see a lot of like almost using like, conventional thinking like literally corporate thinking to like keep inclusivity away i've seen people use covid as the excuse and so to me it's kind of just interesting how much like we've been talking about capitalism and patriarchy is being upheld by the very people who are trying to you know abolish these things and build a good world like a much more sustainable and way 100% way like less harmful world to the people that live in it and so I think that's something to reflect on 100% for myself too like every day I check myself on are my actions matching my words and more importantly are my words matching my beliefs right now am I saying the right thing or have things shifted to where I could improve on this piece of messaging and if I can't like should I be talking to someone like you addressed earlier right like if I haven't been through that should I talk to somebody who has the answer is yes 100% of the time yeah and one thing that also came to mind when we were saying um what you were just saying there was the sort of the idea of how there's the work of kind of healing capitalism internally that we have to do. And I think that people often see that work as a cop-out, but I really, I don't know, the older I get and I've been, and I've done a lot of different kinds of activism and also put my safety on the line, maybe not as much as you have, but you know, like I've done a lot of, like I almost feel like the work becomes more and more internal the older I get and then trying to reflect that outwards. So that's something where I at least feel like some folks feel like, there's more tools, there's more awareness and more opportunities to have conversations like this where we can sort of 
you know, try to get one step further in our own evolution and hopefully that reflects outwards. So. Yeah, no, I agree with that a hundred percent. Cause I think for me, like when people ask me like very directly, like, like how does evolution work? I'm like, well, that starts outside inward. So it's like, you want to change yourself, but like you want to change the people around you, but you really want to do, you have to do it every day. Like I tell the uh, people are like, Oh, didn't you do this? That's cool. I'm like, no, it's not cool. It's whatever. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, that's something I got like a little cookie for. You know what I mean? Like you guys heard about that and the DNC didn't want you to, but somehow you heard about it. Okay. But like the reality is like the most important work any activist does, in my opinion, is bringing these conversations wherever they are, wherever they can be. Like, so it's like, um, you're, we're going to be sitting here as like white people white folks especially i mean our proximity to power we should be forcing the conversation because we can like no one can call me angry or aggressive you know what i mean like and like that's some bullshit like let's talk about the anti-blackness that's built into society where it's like certain words only apply to certain things and certain people in certain situations like that's as much of a problem in the nonprofit industrial complex as it is anywhere else and it saddens me to see the nonprofit world uh, act and behave almost exactly the way the FBI, the CIA, and the DOD do. And like they'll, you know, kill each other over funding. That's out of the same pool. Like it's the same thing in the MPO world, except people will stab each other with a smile on their face. And to me, that's wild. It's like, why are we acting like literally we're acting like the surveillance state that we're avoiding right now? Stop doing it. You know, like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Well, before we, before we jump, jump, like not even a rabbit hole, but before we go into like a full wormhole, um, I, I should just say this conversation is to be continued. We should totally have you back on. I would love to, um, hear more about all the things that you continue doing and we're going to, we're going to feature, um, at least one of your songs. Where can you be, where can people find you and your music and, and, um, and, um track all of the amazing shit that you're that you're working on and with yes i anyone can hit me up i'm like that kind of person so it's like contrary to popular belief i know everyone thinks i'm like really you know not that nice and everything and it's like i'm not nice by definition it's like because like nice can be you know oh they're a nice person but like look what they're doing so it's like you know but like i am nice like i talk to people so anyone can be able it's like uh my instagram is just crash barbosa my music's on any platform if you type in crash barbosa i'll definitely like send you guys an email with something off my new album so you guys have something to play on the podcast that like you know isn't out yet or already out because that would be awesome uh because that will be coming out soon and that's much more um academic but awesome and it's um it's great i'm doing an album that i crowdsourced is corporate america you know like i i do a cuss there but like i tried to censor myself which is a bad habit to start doing see they're trying to assimilate me already like but like i crowdsourced the album and i you know i'm working with my clothing line and like that's something people can catch on my instagram which is just my name at crash proposal like i mean anything about me you can, if you google my name any way to get in touch with me besides my direct phone numbers there and you know, <laughs> I, I i answer dms so people can just okay. you know hit me up and i'll always i'll get back to anybody that has anything to say to me like pretty much eventually i try my best you know <laughs> awesome 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us and sharing all your insights and experience and um, just really, really glad to meet you. And yeah, we hope you're, we wish you all of, all of the success because we are all on the same page, clearly. <laughs> yeah. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. I hope we do again soon. Like, cause yeah, that, this is a great conversation. You guys are amazing. And yeah, I love everything you guys had to say i love the questions i was asked like i'm sorry if i went down a couple of rabbit holes i cannot oh no you're fine that's what podcasts are for (laughs) you're allowed to go down the rabbit hole but i have to hold myself back (laughs) (laughs) you don't though you don't like you don't like you 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 get you can do that too like i've i mean both formats work but i would love to like do a panel type of thing that i guess that would be a more conventional uh, way to do that (laughs) (laughs) well next time next time a panel of experts and and amateurs how about that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very important. I that's yeah, no, everyone wants to be perfect. What is that? Let's talk yeah. like real quick before I'm off. Like I just wanna say that. It's like, no, we're not perfect. No one needs to do that. No one needs to pretend they are. Like yeah. people can be human. I'm tired of seeing activists, quote unquote, uh, like social media, like they they're right. acting like they're bulletproof. They have no problems. They've never, they, like, no longer do they deal with trauma. They're just healed. They're just posting about self-care. They're at the beach. Like, <laughs> that's all you're posting? Like, what? No. <laughs> like, like, please just let people know it's okay to make mistakes because we're all doing it. But some people are doing it publicly and some people aren't doing that publicly. And, like, I think doing it publicly is important in today's world. Mm-hmm. It's like, because people are too afraid to make a mistake. And I don't think anybody was afraid to make a mistake with you know, they did revolutions that became America. I don't think anyone was made afraid of a mistake during uh, the anti-war movement in Vietnam. Like Abby Hoffman was the show, like, you know. I, so I'm saying like, you know, like the 10-point platform, that's not a shook platform. People should really look into that for sure. Mm-hmm. So I just want to prop up all the activists that have come before me, not just in the United States either, but like if I'm going to be speaking in a U.S.-centric way it's like i i have to be propping up you know people who have come before me or else what am i really doing you know what i mean so it's like i i wouldn't really know that i mean i might exist without certain people who have existed but i'm not what i would be able to use their vibes as like actual lessons on what could happen to me you know and like a lot of there's real relevance to that and i think it's really important that we all I feel like this is kind of uh, <laughs> I feel like this is a little bit um, alarmist, but I don't also. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think we should all take history very seriously and learn as much as we can about like our history and everybody's history before it disappears into Fahrenheit 451 of the internet, because we're really looking at shit like that. Even certain parts of um you know, critical race theory in parts of the country that don't have a lot of oversight are very Orwellian in nature with double think like in the curriculum. And I've read it myself and said, it's not okay. And no one else had a problem with it. And I was scared of that. So that was only in like one place, but this could become a thing too. So like not everything's perfect. I'm not saying critical race theory is not necessary. 100% is what isn't necessary is American education systems continuing to uphold 
teaching nothing outside of compliance because I that wasn't new to me in jail hearing um the you know different indicators of doors opening like why because I had the alarm I had the bell in school that had normalized this my whole life that's why the factory worker and the time card they all have that common is every all of this oppression is completely normalized and it starts the day you enter your American education so that's problematic mm. Yeah, and teachers do their well, best. Wanna, yeah, like <laughs> it's a union that's dirty, but the teachers are the best. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that honestly uplifting and positive note, I just want to say thanks. Thank you again so much. Let's keep uplifting the teachers. Let's keep uplifting the people who are being silenced, and um, and keep you know speaking truth to power like you're doing so persistently. Thank you. Thank you, Crash. Thank you so much. We don't need the cages, close all the prisons. This isn't a joke. We put our vibes on the line while politicians do coke and worship they bottom line. Capitalism won't work. We already know that it did it. Gentrification is racist. Don't pretend like it isn't. It happened in New York in a New York minute. It just keeps getting worse in a New York mimic. Shut down a slaughterhouse. It's all intersectional. It's all related. So don't be one dimensional. That's all unacceptable and comes off kind of intentional. Make reparations. Reparable, the opposition ain't ethical. Listen to leaders and leave when they leave. It's not about you, so don't ever talk to police. Don't say anyone's name. None of us are that free. Don't be hoarding money. That isn't change, it's more greed. Learn solidarity, that ain't a four-letter word. And if you do this for you, you rep a trendsetter world. Uh activism. Civil way to smash bad systems. Activism is how you're hurt by politicians. Activism. Be the change and make all the difference. Activism. We don't need them cage clothes, all the prisons. Activism. Civil way to smash bad systems. Activism. Is how you're hurt by politicians. Activism. Be the change and make all the difference. Activism. We don't need them cages clothes, all the prisons. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Joy. How's it going? Good. How's it going with you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. We haven't had I, that was that was me just sort of um, off gassing all of the last couple of months of everything. Three months has it been? I think it's been like three months for <laughs> maybe yeah. even a little over. But we both needed a break. We caught it all over. Yeah. We did need a break. We needed to go have some adventures. Mm-hmm. We needed to enter our own separate vortexes and come back out of the vortexes renewed and refreshed and ready to what the folk again. So. Yes, yes, for, for ready for fresh what the folkery. We have uh, we've emerged <laughs> like butterflies out of our chrysalis <laughs> or something. Indeed, exactly. Exactly. The um, the transformation process that we have all collectively been going through as a as an a giant organism called Earth has been manifesting itself in my personal life by um, having adventures on rivers and roads and in music studios, and uh, that has led me back here all all refreshed and renewed for what the folking all over people's wonderful faces. 
Yeah, I mean, I've been with the foking all over people's faces this summer, but you know, I came out of <laughs> I came out of the pandemic single and ready to see music. Um, and just having moved down to Denver, and it was a really fun, you know, couple months where it seemed like sick things might get back to normal. I knew they weren't going; that wasn't going to last. Like I knew it, but even I sort of convinced myself that like everything's cool now. And then, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it's still, it's a, uh, nope. it's pandemic two, the deltaning. It's back. Um, but deltaning. Deltaning. That's what I've been calling it. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I just have to make every oh, stage of the apocalypse into like a cheesy horror movie title just for my coping mechanisms because I don't know. Really... I feel like it's less painful if we title it, you know? If we give it a title, it's like we can pretend it's a movie and then we don't have to fully engage with it as real life, you know, as like now the blue fascists are in charge. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> now the now the pandemic is um, is affecting people differently and we're just not paying attention to it as closely. Yeah, but it's so weird because I work in Boulder and then live down. Um, well, I technically live in Arvada, but I just say Denver because it makes me sound cooler. No, Arvada is cool, too. If anyone from Arvada is <laughs> listening, I'm not meaning to dog Arvada. But yeah, like Boulder has the indoor mask mandate. So like it's like being in a different place, just driving 20 minutes. <laughs> and then I come down here mm. and it's um, there's no indoor mask mandate yet, at least where I'm at. Um, we'll see. But um, it's wow. just like a mixed bag. If I go to the grocery store, it's like sometimes half and half, but sometimes not even of people wearing masks. So I don't know. Wow. So strange. Yeah, I've been in... Um California I was I was in California and Idaho over our break and it was you know two different places I mean granted I went to Idaho at a time when people were starting to relax about the pandemic I had been vaccinated we hadn't yet heard about the Delta um, really it hadn't quite reached you know and it was Idaho so everybody was unmasked inside it was like regular again and um, and then I went to California a few weeks later, and also by the time I got back to Portland, everyone was wearing masks again, um, inside and outside, and they still are. And um, and when I got down to the Bay Area, everyone in the Bay Area was masked, um, but outside the Bay Area, in other parts of California, it was half and half. So it's like, I don't know what other cities are like particularly if it's like a metropolitan area thing, if it's a, um, you know, blue state, red state thing. I, I really, I feel like there are, are mask and vax resistors all across the spectrum. I don't even want to vilify anyone. It's just been really interesting to watch it all play out and try to be cautious and not really know how to, you know. I still go to the boxing gym. I wear my mask. And I take a risk because it feels really healthy and good to punch a bag um, around other people. But, like, you know? Yeah. I mean, I took a risk um, over Labor Day weekend to see fish. <laughs> you know? I mean, they had the vaccine checks and yeah. stuff. But it's still, um, or you had to produce a negative test, I think, within 48 hours, proof of negative tests. But, like, that stuff's no guarantee. People can always fake stuff. 
Um, and I don't know, just in general, it's like, you know, people that got, I, I got the vaccine, but like, whether you got the vaccine, whether you didn't, like, there's also this like crisis of certainty right now where everyone's asking like, what are, acting like whatever choice they made is going to save them from certain right. death or government control or whatever. And it's like, bro, none of, all of this is a gamble. <laughs> like, just like work right. from that space and maybe chill out a little bit because it's like, you know, not really going to help anybody to just keep like acting like, you know, exactly what you did is going to save your life for sure. So anyway. Right. The unifying thing that we can all completely rest easily and safely in is the knowledge that we don't know shit. <laughs> you know, we, we can think and hypothesize and hope that is that all those things are fine. Um, especially if they have you know, constructive actions attached to them and non-harmful actions. But like, you know, we can only, we can make our decisions and then, you know, we can watch how they impact other people. But like, it doesn't help to gaslight ourselves and other people. It just, you know, for our own tenuous mental health, which is like, we actually have to put forth more energy to bullshit ourselves than we do to to just be like real. Like, we don't know. We're trying. We're hoping. We don't know. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's like, I know it's, uh, oh my gosh, train of thought, train of thought. I know it's kind of scary to live in a place of uncertainty, but I don't know. I'm just at the point where it's like, it, it feels more honest to me. And like you said, like less of a cognitive exhaustion. Um, and that's honestly one of the reasons why I've really dropped out of social media. Like, I don't even know why anyone would bother to follow me on Twitter at this point. I'm, I've decided to be, <laughs> be the anti-podcast marketer and be, like, the only lefty with a podcast <laughs> that isn't on fucking Twitter 24-7 because I just can't deal with it. But, like, I'm barely <laughs> on Facebook, Instagram sometimes because, you know, there's pictures of cats and I like cats. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it's just, like, I just seeing everyone scream across these little citadels of certainty and being, like... She's like, you know, none of you fucking know, really, at the end of the day. So just calm down. Exactly. Like, if I, have, if I feel like I have a perspective to offer that's, like, uniquely mine and I don't see it being offered to the people who might be interested in hearing it, then I'll take the time to write something and say it. Um, or if I have something that I want to say to a lot of people in general and don't want to reach out to them individually, um, I'll, I'll use social media for that. Or like, yeah, if I want to post pictures of trees or kittens or ocean or whatever, you know, like <laughs> if I want to use it for evangelizing my own personal beliefs, like I will do that sometimes, you know, but I'm, um, I think I'm, I'm over it as far as thinking it's going to be a vehicle for change, um, it's kind of had its time for that. Right. The only acceptable use of social media at this point is shitposting memes, in my opinion. That's the only oh, for real. acceptable use of social media. <laughs> and calling out abusers. <laughs> yes, that too. So, <laughs> shitposting, calling out abusers. So, yeah. Cool. Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm, thank you. I'm glad we established that. Like, let's pass the, pass the memo on to the rest of the internet. Um, it's been so, declared yeah. on this day. Oof. Yeah, like on, I feel like on 9-11, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I, yes, on September, whatever day this is going out, 2021, 
Um, we have decreed that the internet is for shit posting and calling out abusers, uh, or social media is for that. The and internet can do more things than that if it wants. If it wants. If it wants to. I mean, I don't know why it would want to, but I guess it can't. I don't think it wants to, really, at its core. Yeah. Um, Cat videos, I guess, I could be a th our third acceptable use of the internet. Right. Like, inside every angry 8chan troll's heart is, like, some kid who was, like, yelled at when they posted cute kitten videos as a kid. We must heal them. I know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, on that note, yeah, so what else has happened since we hiatused? Um, yes. You were on the Silver Threads <laughs> pod with Eleanor Goldfield and Carla Bergman, who was our last um, guest before our hiatus, if anyone recalls, yes. back, back low those many months ago. So, yeah, why don't you talk about that? Because <laughs> it was a great episode, and, yeah, obviously you have a lot to say about the 9-11 anniversary that just passed. Oh, my God. Well... First of all, it was fantastic to have a chance to talk with Carla again after we had just had her um, on here because that was one of the most inspiring conversations I've had in ever, potentially. Um, but to be able to chat with her and Eleanor, who's, you know, one of my dear friends for years now, about, you know, ideas that maybe some people think of as radical, but I don't think of as radical and you don't think of as radical, which is like promoting empathy and vulnerability and humanness instead of, um, you know, being good capitalist cogs. Um, it was really great to be able to, to chat with them on, um, about, you know, sort of lessons I've personally learned over the years on my journey from like thinking we were actually at war against the terrorists to realizing that we were the terrorists, <laughs> Um, it was, you know, because I feel like they both have a lot of richness of experience in, um, both observing and being, you know, part of, part of the resistance and being radicals. I'm sorry. My cat is caught on a piece of cloth. <laughs> is it funny? Oh no, she, she freed herself. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, good job. I, I looked over and I saw my door swinging and I've had this like stupid sparkly thing that I've been drying since I cleaned it after Dex, like little jacket thing. And she was, I just looked at my door saying she, her paws were caught on it. And she, <laughs> she figured it out though. She's good now. We can cut that part out. Sorry. That's why I was just, I'm so sorry. To, I was just like, oh shit, do I have to rescue her? But should we? Yeah. <laughs> But should we, though? I feel like, let's metaphor that. <laughs> We're all cats. Or are caught. we all dangling from the drying, sparkly tapestry of life? <laughs> <laughs> the drying, sparkly tapestry of life that went through some shit on Sunday Night at Fish. So <laughs> Fun shit, but, you know, shit nonetheless. <laughs> all right. That's right. life. That's life. Fun shit, but shit. Shit nonetheless. Yeah, definitely shit. Um, yeah. And, and that's kind of <laughs> along the lines of what we talked about. You know, life is we've got, you know, we take we have this like long process of um, learning what the world is and how it works and how we think what we think about it, why we think about it, how to think about it, like what to ask about it. And, um, you know, if we choose to tune out 
those questions we can, we can be good little capitalists, give all our energy to, um, you know, the owners, the owner class. Um, and also, but also, and also if we choose, we can, we can be aware of it and not participate with it as much as possible. And, um, yeah, so we kind of, we talked about, we talked about the ways that, you know, I, I personally learned after 9-11, um, I joined the military shortly after 9-11, a couple months after. So it, it was in the thick of it. And then about 10 years later was Occupy, um, which I was also very deeply involved with for a, certain, a small amount of time due to one of my fellow veterans, uh, a friend uh, in Oakland, getting shot in the head during Occupy Oakland with a, a police projectile and um, and having, you know, severe traumatic brain injury, having his skull shattered. Um, you know, that was under Obama. You know, that was part of how I became aware that, you know, it, it's the blue as well as the red. <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, same actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And during Occupy. Yeah. I mean, not, I didn't know someone who got, well, I do know people who encountered shitty things with police, maybe not to the, that extent, but like at least during Occupy, but I did see like some shit go down in Denver, um, at the Occupy protests that was pretty striking. I mean, and even just like the first one I went to, um, seeing all the cops in riot gear lined up um, guarding the federal building in Denver or like the Fed, um, you know, basically guarding money. <laughs> like that was the, right. that to me was the biggest, um, I mean, it was like, there's no point even saying this is symbolic. It's just rather obvious. <laughs> like, But then also contrasting that to something like the Women's March, and I'm not here to, you know, dog the Women's March necessarily. I mean, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> um, it's like I didn't see a single cop in riot gear there, and I was kind of like, oh, this just feels like fun, like you know, performance art or whatever. Right. It's not an actual threat to the narratives that hold the state together and occupy for as many criticisms as people can have about occupy. Like that that narrative they were putting out there was a threat to the state and capital. Just even putting right. those ideas out there. So you can see how right. we cracked down on that. So, yeah, that also was a life-changing experience for me where I was like, oh, this is really not red versus blue. This is, you know, capital versus everyone who doesn't have it, which um, I was kind of leaning in that direction anyway, but it sort of was the final nail in that coffin. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, and that's a really important point that you bring up is that, you know, the state – and, you know, the, the system does not see white feminism as a threat um, because white feminism is not about liberation for all. It's about finding white women's place in the patriarchy. And that is fucked. And I, I think it's, it's, always, it's always refreshing to be able to have a conversation with, you know, other women who are on that page because plenty, plenty are not. Um, and, you know, plenty, I would even say plenty non-men. Um, I won't, I'm not even going to just say women. Um, it's like, how do we find our place in the patriarchy, in the white, male, hetero, um, 
you know, cis patriarchy. Yeah, I mean, and I would even argue more generally, it's about finding the place in capitalism, being able to become part of that, um, what was the word crash used, ownership class? I mean, you can see whether it's Obama or like, you know, a lot of people that traditionally come from marginalized backgrounds, but when they get money, all of a sudden, you know, it's, I mean, it's like, really, it's all about things all flowing to the capital and people willing to want to put the boot down on other people if it serves them. But call it liberation because mm-hmm. they're using the right words or they have a rainbow sticker or they, you know what I mean? Correct. Like, so that's what is, I mean, I would say personally is if we want to be reductive about it, is it probably clings or flows up? What's the word I'm looking for? It probably reduces down to like a class politic, you know, but it is then Definitely. related to the patriarchal structures that are built on exploitation and you know, everything else that is going on. I don't have words. (laughs) No, you do. You have the right words. Uh, Yeah, it's, it is, they all are connected, you know, capitalism and the patriarchy are two sides, you know, of the same coin. They kind of perpetuate each other. They need each other. They are codependent. They're in a codependent relationship. And, um, you know, it's, it's up to those of us who don't, don't want that relationship to step away and not, not let it, um, continue to infect our thinking. You know, if it is going to be in our lives, we don't need to let it infect our thinking. We can decolonize our thinking as, um, there's a book that was recommended to me by a woman I hitchhiked with in Idaho this summer, who was my road angel, Diana. I need to get her on the podcast cause she's incredible. She's an artist. She lives in the middle of Idaho in her studio. Yeah. She recommended a book to me called Decolonize Your Mind by Michael Yellowhawk, I believe is the name is that she, and I have not read it yet, but it's been on my list. And we talked about that for a while. It was, it was the best hitchhiking conversation I've had. It lasted for like the whole afternoon. She gave me a bison burger and showed me a secret hot spring and gave me some home distilled whiskey from a friend Damn, yeah that's was, like the best hitchhiking experience ever <laughs> probably yeah i i was like did i like hitchhike my way straight into heaven right now like did i just do that like that's neat if it wasn't for all the white supremacists around here in idaho i wouldn't <laughs> i would actually think um but it was great we had this awesome conversation about decolonizing our minds which is really where we need to start and um and i think that in you know, in Carla's book and on Carla and Eleanor's podcast, um, they really do a great job of kind of bringing in guests who talk about like the ways to do that, like how to decolonize your mind, how to think differently about the systems that we're living under so that they're not so confusing and so oppressive. Like once you know your enemy, they become a lot less threatening. Yeah. And I think Crash talked about that in various ways, sort of and, you know, wanting to call people by their first names and sort of delegitimizing de- de- the system via language versus, you know, his, his story was really funny about the, like, we use the term people convicted of a felony. And it's like, did you talk to felons about this? Because that implies we had a fair trial. That implies we had a system that right. convicted us fairly when we don't. So I appreciated that um, perspective Crash brought um, to the mm-hmm. pod because I think that that's something that gets lost and if we have a project with this podcast at all it's maybe trying to look at you know there's enough people talking about the problems 
Like, we know the problems mm-hmm. at this point, but how you think about those problems and do that internal work, at least to me, like, that's what really interests me, are those conversations, mm-hmm. because that sets you up to then affect things externally. But, um, you exactly. Know. Um, yeah. Cool. Speaking Absolutely. of class war, um, we both got to rewatch our favorite Norm MacDonald movie this week in honor of Norm. Oh, Norm. Yes. Oh man, that was such a that was such a shocker. Norm Macdonald played a crucial role in my nineties, um, like teenage years. That movie, Dirty Work, was like I th- I knew it backward and forward. My brother and I used to quote it at each other, like just randomly, and it worked every time. The thing that struck me watching that and also thinking about a lot of other kind of 90s comedies or even going back as far as the 70s into stuff like Caddyshack or even Animal House is even if some of the people would probably like get caught up in the humor, maybe not aging well into the 21st century, some of it. But when it came to class, mm-hmm. like a lot of those things were right on. So, yeah, I mean, dirty work yeah. and you don't see that as much anymore. Like most comedies are like seem to feature very wealthy people like yeah even the ones that are really it's interesting well yeah and it's interesting because like a lot of those like bro comedies of the 90s really were like when you think about like the ones that you mentioned um there was um what were shit there was one that was just at the top of my head a, a minute ago that has has vanished now but um yeah, they were all kind of commenting on, oh, like, I was thinking like Billy Madison and um, Happy Gilmore. Like they're commenting in a really like lowbrow way on the ridiculousness of this like wealthy, this ownership class, as Crash very accurately put it, of people who believe that they are entitled to special treatment and special privileges. And yeah, in Dirty Work, I feel like I don't give that movie enough credit for like making me, you know, subconsciously conscious of um, of the fact that it is actually okay to fuck with people who exploit other people. It's okay. And you should. It's It's ethical. I think that movie is in and of itself like a perfect statement on ethics, even in its flawed, awkward ass way. <laughs> oh, man. Instead of the dirt bag left, we're going to start the dirty work left. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it already exists. We Probably. just have to go find it. Just let's make another faction of the left. That'll go great. So. <laughs> Um, We're going to take back the word normies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The dirty work left. The dirty Bam. work left. Got it. Yeah. Um, although mad love to the dirt bags too. Um, anyway. So yeah, that, yeah. Watching that movie to me was just such a, again, just a striking example of how class has really been. I mean, I don't want to speak entirely because I don't know every single piece of media that exists out there. And I'm probably not the most like with it person. Maybe there are more amazing comedies that are coming out that are very class conscious and if so please like let us know about them so we can watch them and discuss them but um i do feel like it's very mm-hmm. striking to me how that sort of slobs versus snobs um theme that was the basis for a lot of my favorite like comedies <laughs> growing up just doesn't seem to be like yeah. a thing that people do anymore really at least in like right. popular comedies um i should say maybe yeah. uh, maybe independent films pick that up but right like when you think about like like trading places for example 
would that would that like happen in the same way now like i i'm one i wonder you know like they're back in back in the days before you know our ratings were given out <laughs> when like everything was just pg um if it had any rating at all, there were a lot of really provocative statements made in comedies that were, um, yeah, like not the most like intellectual by any means, but like sometimes like intellect gets in the way of communication. Like I'll be the first to tell you sometimes my professors at fucking Berkeley did not say shit in a way that made sense to me the way some organizer I heard on the street with a high school dropout education had, and I was like, oh, got it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't, how, wait, how did you just put that? The, um, sometimes um, education gets in the way of communication. It, that should just be the slogan of the fucking left on this country, man. <laughs> like, and I'm saying this as one as of those guilty. I'm college Marxists. Yeah, I'm totally guilty of that. So that's, yeah, in a way, like, if, however people get the message to me is, like, fine. I don't care. I don't care mm-hmm. if it comes in a, you know bro comedy from the 90s i don't care if it comes from reading theory like however you get the message is great but yeah norm mcdonald man i was i was very sad about that he was always to me one of those like really underrated kind of um just genius comedians i loved his dry sense of humor and just the way he would deliver lines the way he would do weekend update on snl he was one of my favorites so Mm -hmm. mine too yeah it's a mad love norm and Thanks for thanks for being in dirty work. <laughs> thanks for yeah, well and and thanks for, you know, representing our neighbors to the north so um you know, so well. The I feel like I feel like as a Canadian, you know, Norm really showed showed us how to, you know, leverage your Canadian privilege. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, Canadians <laughs> have a long history of contributing to American comedy and Norm was definitely mm-hmm. one of them. So and yeah, if we've learned nothing yes, else, indeed. if we've learned nothing, <laughs> okay. it's that we should all hire sex workers to overthrow capital, <laughs> but we should compensate yeah, them for totally. their time. If that is anything we can learn from Gertie, Dirty Work um, and Norm Macdonald's loyal army of prostitutes, <laughs> then yeah, we have learned its lessons very well. Right. Well, because like, as we've said, I think on this podcast before, like all armies are of prostitutes. Um, (laughs) You definitely are paid to be in the military, like you've sold your body to the government. So unless like, unless you can't get, unless you've given your body to them, then you are a prostitute. Uh, It's just you don't get to go home and get your body back. So sex workers are renting their bodies. Um is the moral of the story. <laughs> and they are actually necessary. Sex workers are necessary. You know who's not necessary is capitalists. Oh, exactly. More sex, less capitalism. And on that note... More comedy. <laughs> and on that note, as we learned from Serena Chopra, what is time anyway? So, our pod yeah. runs on queer time. Thanks for hanging in there. And we hope you enjoyed the interview with Crash. Yes. Yes, and here is Crash to take us out with one of his songs, a brand new one called Solidarity. The 
the truth is we're all fucked until there isn't all of us People playing dumb and powers playing all of us You working 40 hours every week just to eat Get back to work and back to sleep at home Which is costing most of what you get to keep And people try to praise the labor movement Nah, that movement was segregated If that's your main point of reference The system got you regulated They didn't teach you that in schools cause they segregated By race, gender, class, sexual orientation I paid attention, fuck that bounce that orientation Drop the beef and watch your hands so we can eat oppression Sam, hand in hand, united we'll stand Just not the way they said we can So they'll suppress this, trying to make words illegal So seal this book in advance, Abby Hoffman gonna see you Sit with Nelson Mandela, both shaking their heads And hoping we can do better, like Until there isn't all of us The state will hate and cage and slaughter us Until there isn't all of us The state will maim and chain and martyr us Until there isn't all of us That'll always be what's wrong with us Until there isn't all of us That'll always be what's wrong with us Until there isn't all of us The state will hate and cage and slaughter us Until there isn't all of us The state will maim and chain and martyr us until there isn't all of us, that'll always be what's wrong with us. Until there isn't all of us, that'll always be what's wrong with us. Animals get tortured so you could ball it to lawns. Prisoners make flags in the drones that drop bombs. Men disrespect women, they can't exist without moms. I understand the nihilism, sometimes I say fuck us all. Which is exactly what we deserve. If we all ignoring our calls, which is exactly what we deserve. If we all just bricks in the walls, which is exactly what we deserve. If we just won't get involved, which is exactly what we deserve. When we legitimize laws, which is exactly what we deserve. If all we look for is flaws, exactly what we deserve. If we let them take our resolve, which is exactly what we deserve. If we don't stop playing God, which is exactly what we deserve. If we ignore this from laws, which is exactly what we deserve. If we accepting and not, it's exactly what we deserve. If we let them colonize Mars, it's exactly what we deserve. If we won't die for us all, it's exactly what we deserve. There's world hunger to solve until there isn't all of us. The state will hate and cage and slaughter us until there isn't all of us. The state will maim and chain and martyr us until there isn't all of us. That'll always be what's wrong with us until there isn't all of us. That'll always be what's wrong with us until there isn't all of us. The state will hate and cage and slaughter us until there isn't all of us. The state will maim and chain and martyr us until there isn't all of us. That'll always be what's wrong with us until there isn't all of us. Always be what's wrong with us Every time we run away, run away. We never face the problems We say it on another day, another day. I'll see about it on another day Day, day, day We throw our hands up hands Give up. up our rights and submission I wishing you get out my face with that petition I listen enough to all that bullshit they be dishing The adolescence of children growing up to crooked politicians uh. On a mission, itching to get you a lesson The pot to piss in the sink with rituals of paganism Traditions, but yet we're missing the mark From the start, who we are from the heart Turn it dark from the spark That was hard to embark Never far from the yard of the truth I pursue precious jewels of heavy you But the swine don't take it Every line they break the trample on They carry on like the God forsaken and light Until there isn't all of us The state will hate and cage and slaughter us Until there isn't all of us The state will maim and chain and martyr us Until there isn't all of us That'll always be what's wrong with us Until there isn't all of us That'll always be what's wrong with us Until there isn't all of us The state will hate and cage and slaughter us Until there isn't all of us The state will maim and chain and martyr us Until there isn't all of us That'll always be what's wrong with us Until there isn't all of us That'll always be what's wrong with us What the Folk is co-hosted and co-produced by Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani. Our theme music is a song called In a Major Key by Joy Damiani, back when she was Emily Yates. Our guest on this episode has been Crash Barbosa, featuring his songs Activism and Solidarity off a soon-to-be-released album, so we hope you've enjoyed the sneak peek. If you want to find us on the internets, we're at whatthefolkpod.com. You can email us at whatthefolkpod at gmail.com. 
And uh, you can reach out to us any other way. We're on Instagram at WhatTheFolkPod or on Twitter sometimes. And uh, yeah, we're all over the place. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. And um, thanks for being your fantastic selves. We need more of you in the world. See you next time.